Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. This is Charlotte Talks. I'm Mike Collins. There are areas of Charlotte that have historically been left out of the good things that have resulted from the city's booming growth. Those areas have been neglected, impacting not only those who live there, but the city as a whole. And right now, more than $150 million has been raised through public and private efforts to lift those areas up while leaving residents, many of whom are low income and people of color, in place. The six areas identified for this effort have been named Corridors of Opportunity. You've heard us talk about it. Well, all this year, WFAE News is focusing on various aspects of this endeavor. You can go to our website at WFAE.org for some of the coverage we've already devoted to it and for future stories as they unfold. And this hour, we're going to focus on these corridors, how and why they were identified, and we're going to hear from some of the stakeholders in those areas about what this effort means to those who live there. We're going to hear from those stakeholders a bit later in the hour, but we start by talking to Malcolm Graham. He is Charlotte City District 2 Councilman and Chair of the Council's Economic Development Committee. Welcome back. Great to be here, Mike. And Lisa Worf is with us. She's a reporter for WFAE News and the lead reporter on this series that we're calling Focus, Corridors of Opportunity. Lisa, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So, Malcolm, explain, for those who may not be following along with the home version of this program, explain the corridors of opportunity. What are they? Where are they? How were they identified? Thank you, Mike, for the question. About 2019, the city council and the city team um, brought together six city departments, Mecklenburg County, nonprofit organizations, for-profit corporations, all looking to provide um, uh, economic opportunity and advancement of six key corners throughout our city. So it's a collaboration where we all are doing it together. Uh, the quarters that we are focused on are the Batesford Road and Russell Ferry, Freedom and Wilkinson, West Boulevard, Sugar Creek and I-85, Graham and North Tryon, and Central and Albemarle. These quarters have historically been underinvested in. Uh, this council and, and our city manager uh, focused our attentions three years ago to really have a whole of government approach with all our departments and, and partners to really focus on these quarters. So in 2019, the poverty rate for the city of Charlotte overall was 12.9%. Several of the corridors of opportunity are, they well, they outpace that poverty rate substantially. One, the Freedom Drive, Wilkinson and West Boulevard's corridor has a 27.6%. Uh, poverty rate with 27.6% uh, of residents there living at or below the poverty line. That's part of the reason that area qualified for this. But are these improvements coming through the Corridors of Opportunity Program strictly infrastructure and amenities based? Or do you hope, is the hope that this will help lower that poverty rate? Well, it, it covers a wide variety of areas, um, small business support, um, um, crime and public safety, uh, investing in our housing trust fund, uh, programs like a House Charlotte, which is down payment assistance, uh, and through OPPO dollars that we appropriated this year. And so it's really taking a look at a wide variety of factors that impact those numbers uh, and making sure those who live and work on the corridor have uh, resources 
uh, and on opportunities and the city being very intentional about supporting those key areas. Well, Lisa, WFAE, as I said, is planning a year-long series uh, throughout 2023 on this effort. Why? Why the focus on this? Well, because, you know, these are areas that, as you said, have, you know, kind of been looking at the growth of Charlotte from the sidelines for many years and, um, you know, have, have not seen that for themselves, historically underinvested. And, you know, part of Charlotte's story is hugely a part of these communities. I mean, these communities play into who we are, whether wherever you live, whether you live there, whether you live um, in South Charlotte. I mean, this is a really important part of what makes up the city. And it's also a change in how the the city of Charlotte and a lot of groups, um, you know, outside groups like the United Way and things like that are thinking of putting their their efforts and really thinking of, you know, whether it's economic development, you know, whether it's crime reduction, whether it's infrastructure, it's a different way of thinking that through more holistically. So it's really a test of, you know, how this is going to play out. And I think that following those efforts um, is, is, is critical. On this morning, February 16th, we're about six weeks into 2023, and I was on the website yesterday, our website, WFAE.org, looking at some of the things that we've done, and we've already done a lot of stories on this and more to come throughout the year. How are you covering this? What will you be looking and what kinds of things are you looking at? Yeah, I mean, all of this, you know, is from maybe, you know, broader, whether you're looking at uh, development, right, with many of these communities are seeing a lot of change. And right, the challenge is, how can that change as as one woman I spoke with uh, living in the Greenville neighborhood, Marie Sadler said, how can that change help bring up the old as well as the new and have good things for people who are living there, uh, as well as newcomers. Um, so, you know, trying to trying to look at some of those bigger issues, um, but also look on a more granular level. I mean, um, there are so many people who've been working hard in these communities for so long, um, you know, community residents and how those efforts, you know, how they're judging um, what the city is trying to do and, um, you know, their longtime work in the community, how that's coinciding. So, you know, we'll be covering anything from, you know, bigger, broader issues to, you know, community meetings and, and what residents think is really important for their neighborhoods as they see this change come through. And in fact, the first story that you produced is headline, long neglected Charlotte's corridors of opportunity could be the key to a more equitable city. Is this happening all at once in all six corridors or is this rolling out over time? It's rolling out over time now. And, and uh, Malcolm, uh, Mr. Graham, you can speak to this more. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, for example, you know, there's been efforts in all of these corridors. It's not necessarily these corridors are a new thing but how the city and how other groups are thinking about it is a little bit different. Um, and so, you know, for example, efforts uh, in Beatty's Ford Road, that corridor, uh, West Boulevard, those have been kind of in the works uh, for a while. And so those were the early ones where you saw this sort of strategy, they call it a playbook uh, for how to look at infrastructure development and things like that. And then they're adding 
the corridors, um, the other corridors as we speak. So there's still two that are coming up with playbooks. Uh, Malcolm Graham. All the corridors, yeah, all the corridors, Mike, though, have active activity on the ground right now. And, and Lisa is correct. And so there's work being done simultaneously through all the, the corridors. Some are more advanced than others. But certainly those council members and district representatives like Victoria and Renee Johnson um, uh, and, um, and others are, are working really hard to ensure that um, their voices are heard. So the city's economic director, economic development director, Tracy Dobson, uh, is quoted in Lisa's first story about this as saying the city has long invested in these areas. But at some point, the question arose, are we doing it right? Two questions, Malcolm. Have we really been long invested in these areas? And what does it mean to do it right? Yeah, I, I've been around for a while. And so uh, being on council uh, going back to 2000 uh, and, uh, and one. And so we've always had a focus on working in these corridors that have been un historically underutilized, right? And, and underfunded. Uh, and uh, these were parts of town that folks, um, for whatever reason, didn't want to come to. As the city has grown and infill development has occurred, these quarters are now desirable and folks want to move here. And so we want to make sure that first and foremost, we protect those who are already there uh, and give them the opportunity to stay and grow and invest in their own communities uh, and, um, and provide the tools necessary for them to do that. So through a wide variety of city city resources. We've raised a lot of money in the city to try to stave off, uh, well, reduce the affordable housing uh, problem that we face, the lack of it. It's not enough money, but we've raised a lot. Uh, in this effort, we've raised $157.5 million through uh, public and private funds earmarked for these corridors. It's a lot of money. Is it enough? Well, you, you, know, you know, there are a lot of needs in our community. Um, and, and like I said, the whole governor approach means that we're, we're dealing with public safety issues in some of these corridors, so we have to invest in programs like Alternatives to Violence in all six borders and throughout the city, I believe, still trying to identify housing opportunities for those who needed jobs, uh, supporting the nonprofit organizations that are uh, doing the day-to-day the -day work on the streets. They're literally walking the streets trying to create community change uh, and um, major investment projects, working with um, developers, especially minority developers who want to invest in these communities and just doing it different. If we can work with major corporations to entice them to come to Charlotte, we can certainly work with those uh, smaller businesses that are investing in our quarters um, that we want to re remain the same. One last factor, we want our residents to be a part of the change and not victims of it. And that's why these are investments are so important. And that's why we need more dollars, I believe, to really begin to uh, solve a wide variety of issues that impact um, how these quarters will be developed in the next 5, 10, 15 years. Lisa, Lisa the and, structure. And another thing, too, I, I mean, you know, there are efforts that, you know, and you'll hear more about this, but people living in those communities, you know, have have long been been working, obviously, um, to to uh, bring up the strengths and to to look at development and things like that. And so, you know, it's very much the the goal is to say, you know, what works with that vision? What what is the vision of people, you know, who have long time worked and, and lived in these communities? 
and you know how 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 can we help with that? So the structure, Lisa, of the Mayor's Racial Equity Initiative and the Corridors of Opportunity, it's a little confusing. And since this is a public-private partnership uh, and not strictly a city-run effort, who's in charge? Who's making these decisions? Well, I mean, it is when you say corridors of opportunity and you talk to someone at the city, I mean, that is a, a city-run effort. They'll say, um, you know, it they call you know city council is calling the shots uh with input and everything from from neighborhood groups and things like that but you know the language you know when i've talked to people at the city about how this aligns with the mayor's racial equity initiative because it is a part of it i mean it's 62 million dollars that is included in that 250 million dollar sum um it how it couples with that private money, the city says it's aligned, right? So the public funds are administered by city council and the private money comes in the form of loans and grants um, that are administered um, and, and chosen by an advisory council. So in areas where neighborhood improvements have come organically, gentrification has occurred. And where that happens, of course, longtime residents, many of whom are low income or on fixed incomes, uh, have to move out. And the goal here, as I understand it, Malcolm, is to make improvements and leave those people in place. So how will you be able to do that in a free market economy where developers seem to have the upper hand? Well, you, 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 we got to meet our residents where they are and give them support necessary to, to remain in their communities. And, and I think Ladies Ford Road is a, a perfect example where uh, we got folks doing the work on the ground, like uh, Ms. Adams, who you'll be talking to later in the city, uh, and identifying those individuals along the corridor uh, that wants to invest and for the city to work side by side to make it happen. And it before- is not hard. And before sorry, we move Mike. on, Malcolm, I have 30 seconds. Uh, how will you gauge the success of this? Well, the success is, is basically looking at the metrics um, and, and um, that, that we get from it, you know, in terms of home ownership, um, lower crime rates, more uh, investment. It's the eye test, right? And when you when you drive down that corridor, do you see, do you feel a noticeable difference? So some of it is tangible, very structured. Some of it is really intangible. Malcolm Graham, District 2 City Councilman, Chair of the Economic Development Committee. Thanks for joining us for this segment of the show. Lisa Stays will be joined by stakeholders in a moment. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, incorporating Mazda's customer-centric vehicle design by making the customer the center of business to create a better car buying experience. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. It's Charlotte Talks on Listener Funded 90.7, WFAE and WFAE.org. I'm Mike Collins. We continue our exploration of Charlotte's corridors of opportunity. We mentioned at the top of the program that WFAE News is examining various aspects of this effort and will be doing so all year in a series called Focus, Corridors of Opportunity. And you can catch up on some of the stories we have already produced and follow future stories both on our air and at our website at WFAE.org. Charlotte Talks is helping to kick this off with an interview overview this hour, I suppose. And WFAE's lead reporter on this series, Lisa Worf, is still with us. And now we're joined by several area stakeholders. Jatanya Adams is founder and executive director of Historic West End Partners. Thank you for joining us. Good morning to you. And Jose Alvarez is uh, vice president of Prospera, North Carolina, and a member of WFAE's Community Advisory Board. Thanks for joining us, Jose. And Melissa Gaston is executive director of the North End 
Community Coalition. Thank you for being here as well. Let me start this segment by finding out more about each of your organizations. And Jatanya, I'm starting with you. You've been an advocate for years for your neighborhood and founded, uh, as I said, Historic West End Partners. When did you found that organization? What have you been focusing on? Has your work borne fruit? Thank you for the question. And yes, Mike, we were so glad to be a part. We actually started as a neighborhood group back in 2008, just to remove blight and activate spaces. Uh, and then with the help of Dr. Ronald L. Carter in 2008, we received our 501c3 and $12,000 from JCSU and approximately $50,000 from the Knight Foundation so that we can go and study what other cities are doing. And I happened upon the National Main Street Center and 8th Street Main Street. Wonderful man named Anwar Saleem who has coached us on the Main Street approach since 2010. And we actually have been unofficially implementing the Main Street approach for some years. So the changes you're seeing on Baby's Four Road are actually the fruit of that. And we are a business district organization working with anti-displacement and supporting small businesses and recruiting new businesses to fill service gaps and needs in the community. Jose, your uh, organization, Prospera North Carolina, provides year-round support to Hispanic entrepreneurs. Uh, you came here from South Florida in 2017 to help Prospera expand their uh, footprint, I suppose, into the North Carolina area. How do you see your organization and the needs of the people you, you serve fitting into this Corridors of Opportunity program? Good morning, Mike, and thank you. Thank you for having me. So the uh, the organization that work for Prospera specializes in providing in-cultural language support to uh, Latinos who are in that process of either starting a business or trying to expand a, an existing one and making sure we help them integrate into the American system and into their communities through entrepreneurship. So, um, you know, the, 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 I think it's it's a perfect fit. Um, the, 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 the result there, you may know, uh, the corridors are very uh, diverse sections of the city, and a lot of those uh, minorities present there are Latinos, uh, foreign-born Latinos. So precisely what we're looking for is really helping them understand how the system works to make sure that they start their entrepreneurship endeavor the right way, and they, add, they become uh, economically independent through that uh, entrepreneurship effort. Melissa Gaston, the North End Community Coalition serves eight neighborhoods, I believe, and you say that the North End is the best end. I'm sure that, that Jatanya, I think Jatanya may take exception to that. That's a, that's a show <laughs> for another day. But, but you said before uh, the Corridor of Opportunity Initiative really kicked in. That's how you described it. So what makes your area the best and where and what kind of help do you hope to get from this Corridors of Opportunity program? Um, thank you um, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Definitely our quarter has been an area, um, as Malcolm was talking about earlier, that has been ignored and underinvested in by the city for a long time. So we're excited that the quarter's opportunity is coming. We're hoping that it's going to be able to um, work with the developers in the city to bring in the needed infrastructure that we need, as well as the community um, benefits that we need, such as basic things like banking, additional retail, those type of things um, that have been sorely missing from the community for such a long period of time. Uh, what do you think you need the most in the North End? Because a lot of things are happening right now in North End. What do you need the most? 
Um, I think the most we need to be able to stabilize the individuals who currently live here and want to continue to live here because of all the changes going on. When people think the North End, they think Camp North End, which is a great development, and they've been a partner of ours since the very beginning, but that's not all of the North End. There's a whole lot more that's happening outside of that 75-acre campus. And so, like I said, we've needed a grocery store that provides fresh fruits and vegetables and things like that and produce for the long period of time, banks, things you don't even think about. There's no blue post office box where you can throw mail in. Um, we have streets that when it rains, they flood and the sidewalks flood. So when you have people in our area who depend on transportation so much, and so they use the sidewalks frequently, if your streets are flooded or your, your sidewalks are flooded with just a little bit of rain, that impacts you. And you got to walk out into the street, which causes all kinds of um, issues yeah. about um, hurting yourself or potentially being injured from vehicles. Jatanya, same question to you. What does the West End need the most in your view? The West End needs most uh, money that goes beyond the right of way. We need capital, access to capital. We need the barriers lowered to access that capital. Um, you know, and, and we really need those funds to, to be like United Way has, has truly shown the way with unrestricted dollars. It helps nonprofits to actually implement things we've studied and documented for now going on 30 years, which is just more talking about talking while prices are going up. We could have implemented many things a long time ago had we had this consciousness people now have about wanting to uh, do the equitable thing. So access the capital, unrestricted, trust the source that you're giving it to. We're proven leaders. Jose, there is an area of town that is, uh, has become vibrant because of the uh, influx of, Hispanic, uh, of the Hispanic population, but you're not here necessarily representing an area of town. Prospera, uh, Prospera represents uh, a, 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 a group of people, Hispanics, particularly Hispanic entrepreneurs. So how many in the, of the people that you encourage to become entrepreneurs live in one of these corridors of opportunity? Uh, a great number of them. Um, you know, Charlotte is a, a city that is experiencing right now, just like any other city in America, growth. And that part of that, that growth is actually uh, very diverse. There are a lot of, including a lot of uh, um, foreign-born immigrants moving into the city. Um, usually when you have those type of migrations, with first-generation immigrants, they tend to cluster in specific areas of a city. Uh, in our case, you know, the South Boulevard uh, area, the Albemarle Central Corridor area, there are a lot of Latinos concentrated in those areas. Uh, just, just to give you a perspective of the amount of, uh, of, of the population that we're talking here, Mecklenburg County has the largest uh, Hispanic population in the entire state at over 170,000 residents. That's 14% of the, of the population, right? The city of Charlotte alone um, is uh, 132,000 of those uh, 178 in the county. So it has uh, it, that's almost 80% of the Latino population within Mecklenburg County. Uh, the rest is just spread out throughout the rest of the cities uh, and unincorporated areas. So like I said, uh, the majority of them are, are, are foreign born. They, because of cultural and language barriers, they tend to cluster in specific areas. Uh, now, there is the, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, finish your thought. 
No, no, I was just going to say that they, yeah, they're, they're specific numbers. I mean, you'll have to dig into more and more of the census data, but the majority of them, like I mentioned, they're really, really concentrated in these specific clusters. Lisa. Yeah, and among the corridors where you see uh, some of the higher Latino populations, as um, Jose was saying, uh, is, is the Albemarle Central Corridor. But that is a very diverse corridor in general. I mean, um, when you're talking African-American, um, immigrants, uh, Latino, um, you know, that is probably one of the most diverse corridors. And in the other corridors that uh, the Quarters of Opportunity focuses on, it, Latinos are certainly, you know, a growing part of those populations as well. So, Jitanya, I want to follow up on something I touched on with uh, Malcolm Graham a moment ago, uh, how you balance all these neighborhood improvements uh, to infrastructure and amenities, et cetera, uh, and, and inviting new business in. And how do you balance that with the gentrification that has historically occurred when that has happened? And it kind of pushes the very people that you're trying to lift up out of longtime homes in some cases. Your mission at Historic West End Partners is to advocate for both cultural preservation and economic development. How do you strike that delicate balance? To the contrary, all that Historic West End Partners is doing is community-led, and it is actually Black ownership and Black development, or Black developers. So we are rebuilding our own community. Uh, and uh, placing investment where we've wanted it for decades. Uh, so this is a work of the community. Um, as far as the gentrification is concerned, um, what we realized was residential gentrification started about 2008 or nine. Uh, and when we said it would uh, happen more in quicker than 20 years, we were being told by the experts it was gonna take more than 20 years. So we lost housing stock listening to others instead of following our own gut and going ahead and amassing property. So what the Historic Western Partners has done is shifted into the commercial lane and started to amass properties and to do ascension planning with people and transitioning properties because we were about to lose our commercial real estate. And for the struggle and others are doing a great job on the residential displacement front. So we're working in tandem with other organizations to make sure that we are shoring up our ecosystem. Lisa, as part of uh, this series, uh, you reported that rapid change in North End is making residents there eager and anxious eager for improvements, but anxious about who will benefit. And from what you've observed, uh, how are long-term residents being helped and protected in North End? Yeah, and and Melissa too can speak to this uh, more. But you know, there's, uh, <laughs> you know, there certainly is. For in, in a lot of areas, you know, with retail coming in, much needed retail, grocery stores and things like that, um, that's measured by the density of the area. And, you know, in the North End, for example, and in other corridors, um, residents have been told, well, you don't you don't have, you know, enough people to to bring these amenities to you. Um, but that's changing with some of with some of this growth, right? So there are the things that are are really welcome to to come there. But this displacement thing, whether it's residents, whether it's businesses, is really tricky. And you know there are programs in place um, through the city, um, you know, sort of tax reduction programs, 
and um, you know something the program has pilots uh, just in in a few neighborhoods that fall in corridors called staying in place that um, tried to um, make it easier for for people living there, longtime residents to to afford those bills and and things like that. But um, yeah, it's it's tricky, and you know you see a lot of people displaced already and you know that's probably that's likely to continue so uh, i don't think there's a good solution to it right now M melissa lisa says that north end quote exemplifies one of the biggest challenges for the corridors program encouraging growth without sparking displacement I i'm assuming that you agree you can tell me if you don't but what are you and your organization doing to help Right. Um, I definitely agree with that statement. And one of the things that we're trying to do is realize that in order to stay in your homes, um, you have to have, you know, quality homes. So we're, we've worked with partners like Rebuilding Together Charlotte and those type of organizations to help improve the infrastructure. We've given um, seminars for residents, you know, how do I stay in my home? Um, how to take advantage of the changes that are occurring in the neighborhood um, so that they can benefit because she's right. One of the top things that people have said is, oh, there's not enough rooftops. We don't have enough people. Well, now we're getting the people here. And so now we need these um, resources to come to the community that said we couldn't come because you don't have enough people. So for many years, we weren't able to get what we wanted. And now that we're getting residents here, we're like, okay, well, where are they coming? And it needs to be that first group or that first person that says, okay, I'm going to invest in this community. And it seems like that hasn't happened. I think one of the things that we find is that people um, need to be able to live, work, and play in the same place. I know that's a cliche that a whole lot of people hear all the time, but it's so true. And um, that's what we're looking for. So we're working with everybody to try and get it so everybody can um, achieve their goal, whether they want to stay in their house. Um, we are providing workforce development for residents because we know if you have your income, you need to be able to scale up your income so you can continue to live. So if you're renting somewhere and your rent's going up, you'll need to be able to scale up your income to do that, not just throw money at it and say, okay, we're going to keep this. Okay, but things change. We see the price of groceries have changed. So, of course, the price of housing is going to change. The price of rent is going to change. So and something all else those may things are important. Something else may be about to change as well, and that is taxes. We had the mayor on the program yesterday. City Council and the County Commission are also looking at possible uh, property tax increases. Uh, as improvements come into neighborhoods, property values increase. That can lead, of course, to higher taxes in areas that, like the two that you represent, Melissa and Jatanya. Longtime homeowners may not be able to keep pace with those taxes. So although their surroundings might be improving and the availability of the amenities you're trying to place in these areas may be improving, their personal circumstances are not. So I want to hear from both of you. I'll start with Melissa. Do you, do you have any tools in your toolkit to mitigate that? So um, just as I was saying, uh, we are. So we have some programs that are coming through um, the United Way and a grant that we received. So um, NC Works is gonna come into the community. They're gonna meet people where they are, whether they need help with resumes, whether they need to increase or enhance their skills so they can improve their job. Um, we've worked with another organization that um, had people learn how to be electricians and so they could be placed in jobs. So we're re recognizing that you have to in increase your income and you increase your income by increasing your job skills. Our uh, quarter has a lot of uh, heavy service-oriented residents who work in the service industry. And so because of that, we realized that that's not necessarily going to pay you enough that you need. So we need to figure out additional ways to increase that income so you can afford to stay where you are.
Melissa, I have about a minute left in this segment. Same question to you. What kind of tools do you have to help people who's, if the taxes go up? The best thing that we can do is, is to ensure that people have careers. So I'm really excited about uh, the Truist Foundations uh, bringing kale into um, into the quarters of opportunity situation so that we can get people living wage jobs and careers because they're, they're, we're not going to be able to build our way out of it. Uh, that's just all there is to it. It's about income and then also entrepreneurship. So we're excited about working with living cities also to make sure and, and the banks that are coming in to ensure that we can uh, also fund entrepreneurs. Success at changing the character of these corridors and raising the economic vibrancy of these corridors comes with a downside. I want to talk to Jose about that as well, how you protect entrepreneurs from success in a moment in Charlotte Talks. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at Mazda of South Charlotte. It's Charlotte Talks on WFAE and WFAE.org. I'm Mike Collins. We're talking about Charlotte's corridors of opportunity and talking to three of the stakeholders in at least three of those corridors. Jatanya Adams is founder and executive director of Historic West End Partners. Jose Alvarez is vice president of Prospera, North Carolina. Melissa Gaston is executive director of the North End Community Coalition. And Lisa Worf is with us. She is the lead reporter on a series we're doing here at WFAE News on the Corridors of Opportunity, our focus series. Jose, the, uh, the Central Avenue Albemarle Road Corridor uh, is seen as one of the city's most vibrant, and that's primarily due to the influence of uh, the immigrant community there and what they have to offer, what they're bringing to the table. But it's also an area that's in line for a great deal of impending development. Uh, now that Eastland Mall has become Eastland Yards, there is great anticipation of what, about what that will mean for that area. What are you hearing from residents and from small business owners in that area about what may be coming? One of the main concerns that we are um, hearing, Mike, is um, landlords um, asking for too much rent. Uh, that is definitely, especially for uh, existing business owners, that is something that we've been hearing a lot. And we're trying to you know, figure out how to work around that, which is a very challenging um, um, issue. Uh, for other residents um, and those who are looking into, you know, starting their own business, it's really, it's really understanding what's available to them. Um, like I mentioned before, I mean, we're definitely seeing a major shift in the population makeup of the city uh, and the state for that matter. And Charlotte's diversity tells who we are as a community and is profoundly shaping philanthropic thinking strategy and funding moving forward. So really, I think the effort is there from both public and private sector and the nonprofit field sector um, for these uh, specific uh, the, uh, minorities. It's really understanding how to navigate that and understanding how to access those resources. There is money coming, like Jatania and Melissa mentioned. There, there, there are resources that need to be put, and there is slowly uh, coming to these corridors but when you get to the minorities with the small groups, it's really a step forward in really helping them understand how to take advantage of all their resources and hopefully avoid some of these issues that they are um, that will come. 
but you also way. you also face the 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 uh, the downside of success, and the downside of success is that people have to leave, or the rents as you. I want to come back to this rental issue in a second. That rents become uh, unsustainably high for for some people's businesses, and they have to move. So how do you prevent killing the goose that laid the golden egg? That's a, that's a great question, Mike. And I think it's really getting involved, getting people involved um, and making sure not only we get, you know, these, these end users that we serve, these minorities, but also bridging the communication with other uh, non-minority groups. I mean, there is a, there was recently a meeting this past a weekend with a group of urbanists over at Manolo's Bakery, which is right within the corridor. And the entire point of that was to really open the lines of communication to talk about all these issues. It's just raising awareness, uh, you know, activating groups, activating people, uh, maybe even bringing it up uh, at the political level, you know, go and complain to your, uh, to your elected official, let, let, let's create policy towards avoiding that, Mike, because that is, you're absolutely right, that is an issue that needs to be uh, worked on. Well, you, you may have noticed that, uh, that uh, developers tend to, uh, to win out a lot in Charlotte, that despite efforts to the contrary, and, and the reason I bring up the goose that laid the golden egg along the Central Avenue Albemarle Road corridor is what we watched what happened with Noda in the early days. That was kind of a, a funky arts enclave, uh, unlike any other part of town. It was kind of fun to go to because of that, because of the uh, difference uh, to the rest of Charlotte. But as that became more attractive, a lot of those original people have been pushed out because the rents went up and they've gentrified Noda uh, so that it's not the same as it was. And so the reasons for going there are completely different now. And I'm curious, uh, Melissa, and I'll start with you and I'll ask Jatani the same question. because you live in the Camp North End area, that's attracting newcomers and new businesses and a whole different kind of activity. Uh, do you worry about that? Definitely, it's a concern for the residents who live here, a concern for me as well. I think we just need to work together and utilize the resources that are out there to help individuals who want to stay, um, who want to start businesses here or want to continue with their businesses here who who might not have that opportunity if they get priced out but it's definitely a concern and it's it's something that we talk about every day every time we have a meeting about something or we meet somebody in the community that's a concern that they have it's on top of everybody's mind i think the historic west end is a little bit ahead of north end because they've been talking about this problem for a longer period of time and working toward the solutions for a longer period of time but do you worry as these new businesses come in as this area becomes uh, uh, really more and more and more attractive that you will lose the character of that neighborhood and lose some of the people who have made it what it is today because they can't afford to stay yeah that that is definitely a concern we want to oh. um preserve the character of the community, but also embrace the change. We know change happens and it's going to continue to happen, but we still need to make sure we don't lose sight of what it was here first and keep that in mind. And Jatanya, that question was actually actually aimed at you and what's going on in West End. It's fine that you answered, Melissa, but uh, Jatanya, what are your thoughts? Our situation is the reverse. We didn't have anyone with super deep pockets come and develop a a campus as large as Camp North End. Most of of our uh, development commercially is one one offs. 
wherever we can get a commercial owner, a small business owner to uh, improve uh, the businesses and services that they have will allow us to recruit someone into their space. Uh, and as far as gentrification is concerned, it occurred when, when, when there were uh, zero amenities and a lot of blight from disenfranchisement for a long time. Listen, transplants know the value of, of, our, of, of our communities uh, from where they came from, more urban, from out west, from up north. Uh, and what we think is blight is laughable to them. Uh, and so when they sell property up north or out west, they got a lot of disposable income. They got money to burn. I mean, uh, you know, they, they, they've got it made when they come here. So they move here regardless to what it looks like. And what they're crying out for is amenities, but they're crying out for the same things that our community has cried out for a very long time. Well, behind the scenes, you sent a note to our producer, Wendy, uh, and you say that transplants with disposable income are coming faster than funding. External real estate investors have set a new market that exceeds current incomes. That sounds great, but it also sounds like a problem. I'm not saying it's not a problem, but but I'm not a woe is me person. I don't have time to worry about things. I strategize around things, right? I, I take other people's situations and try to turn it into gold for us. So I just navigate systems. I don't I don't worry. I move, right? And that's what I try to do is galvanize the people to move. You can't stop them from coming because as long as something's on the market to be bought, somebody's going to buy it, right? You can't stop people from buying and you can't stop people from building. But what you can do is hold what you have, understand what you have, and know how to use what you have. Well, I hope you're right, because that leads us to a question about rising rents, Jose. Uh, uh, in one of our early stories that WFAE produced on this, Kayla Young uh, report, she spoke to Hispanic bakery owner uh, Manolo uh, Bentancor. I hope I said his name correctly. Uh, some of his employees, he says, have benefited from an affordable rental agreement with a nearby apartment complex that allows them to walk to work, which is a, a big money saver. Uh, the Corridors of Opportunity has also launched a pilot program to help renters in that area because uh, uh, to become homeowners. But nothing like that exists, I don't believe, for business owners and operators. So as rents rise, what are they supposed to do? It doesn't exist yet. And you actually beat me to the punch, Mike, because I was going to mention that program. It's a pilot that Manolo uh, uh, Baker is trying with a nearby uh, um, landlord, and um, hey, let's bring attention to that. It's, I, I think it's working. He's had that uh, deal for a while. Uh, a couple of his employees are taking advantage of it. One of two of his best employees. So why not replicating that? You know, there are parts of the of the corridor or the entire city for that matter. Uh, again, like you mentioned, it is an issue. Uh, we just need to. In Jatani is on the money. We need to navigate to what we have and come up with creative ideas in making it happen and, and getting everyone involved, philanthropy, uh, government and, 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 and the and the um, and, and corporate. Uh, Melissa, the people that you represent in the North End have told city officials, quote, don't come in here and tell us what we need. Ask us what we want. Actually, listen to us and put it into a plan. And you said they need to listen to people in these neighborhoods because they've been there on the ground for a long time. They understand the present and they understand their history. Are leaders listening? 
uh, the city has been listening. Uh, when the quarters of opportunity came to the um, to the community and said, "Hey, we're gonna, you know, we want to develop a playbook. What do you want?" Uh, the first thing we said is, "You have to build trust within the residents." So they they tried to do that, and I think that's a good thing. They are um, listening to us because we said we're not just going to be your guinea pigs where you can come and tell us what we need. We're going to tell you what we need and then if you want to do something, do what we need, not what you think we need. Um, so they have been really earnestly trying because we had told them previously, if you're not going to do that, don't come. Just stay where you are. <laughs> so that's important. Um, uh, Jose. And if I may add to that, Melissa, she's also on the money. I mean, the, the, the city, local government, contrary to what you may say about local government and elected officials and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and staff from the city, the city has been listening. And they have been really working strategically. I know these are areas that have been, you know, left behind and they have socioeconomic issues, but the city is listening and they're putting resources, they're spearheading this effort. And what's interesting is that they're actually working with partners who know these different minorities and communities within these corridors to really work with them and gain the trust through these partners. So it's not the city going directly because they don't even know how to do it. Now they're really working with partners to make sure that they speak their language and, and are able to reach and get the trust of these different um, uh, groups. Jatanya. I appreciate what government is doing, but I gotta say this, we need them to up the ante. Coming today with yesterday's money is not working. We need yesterday's money like yesterday. We need today's money now to make bold moves. And we need them to trust us. We don't need to study two years and fund it with yesterday's money again. So everybody's got to step it up. I put in the chat, you know, DC uh, is giving their corridors $250,000 a year. And they've got about 25, 27 of them. And they're also helping people with $700,000 towards buying property. So we are actually doing kind of an underground movement of succession planning uh, with some of our folks to transition properties to keep them uh, community owned. Before we run out of time, Jatanya, I wanna ask the three of you, and I'll start with you, uh, how you will gauge the success. I asked this of Malcolm, uh, how will you gauge the success of this Corridors of Opportunity program? And when will you start gauging where you are on the timeline of success or failure, Jatanya? We're already a success, I'll be honest with you, and I believe in calling those things to be not as though they were. So we actually are a success today, and we're going to be an even greater success. We got some hot stuff in the pipeline. Just stand back and stand by, and we're going to keep moving. We are a success. Just help us to double down on that with the dollars. Melissa. Yeah, uh with Jatanya, I agree with her. We are a success. Um, we do need additional services, but I think um, because we are working together and that is so important that we're working together um, to achieve better for our community, um, that's what we'll see. When residents are continuing to see improvements in their community and not just uh, disinvestment, we'll know that we are a success. Jose, same question for you. Success is uh, continuing the work. It's nonstop. I mean, there's no finish line on, on, on this, what we're doing. I and mean, we don't measure today and stop tomorrow. In fact, it, it gets more challenging uh, because the population growth continues and immigration, in our case, immigration of, of, of um, international communities continues. So uh, 
just creating that mindset of keeping going, keep on putting resources in areas of the cities that need uh, the assistance. I mean, I think that's success. Lisa Worf, I have about a minute left. Uh, any talk among city officials about if they have to raise taxes or the county, if they have to raise taxes to, to provide some sort of uh, tax relief for people in these six corridors of opportunity who can't afford that? I think that that discussion is just beginning a little bit. So, um, you know, in, in, in a lot of these communities that fall into the, the corridors, right, where there is has been a lot of change, you know, property, you know, you're seeing values double uh, as far as um, property. So uh, there are going to be higher tax bills. And uh, there are some programs in place that can reduce um, taxes for uh, for those who have been in their homes for a while. And if there's um, a, a threshold for that. But there's been there was a presentation a couple of weeks ago at a county meeting about the revaluation, and there were some questions about are we doing enough as far as trying to protect some of these um, people who are going to see tax bills really rise, and um, so we'll see where that goes. Uh, Lisa Worf is the lead reporter on Focus Corridors of Opportunities. It, uh, use, it's a year-long series that WFAE is producing. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, you can hear some of the stories and read some of the stories that we've already reported on and continue to do so both on our air and on our website at WFAE.org. Lisa was here along with Jutani Adams from Historic West End Partners, Jose Alvarez from Prospera NC, and Melissa Gaston from the North End Community Coalition, also Malcolm Graham from City Council. Thank you all for the hour. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte. Using Mazda's customer-centric approach to cars to create a car buying and servicing experience where the customer is the center of their business. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com.